Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi guys, this is Santosh, your pediatric infectious diseases doctor. Hi, and it's Dr. Ward. I'm the ER doc. So, in the last few weeks, we've had a chance to start getting into all the fun vacation times of the year over here on the Western Hemisphere. You've heard our summer loving episode. You you loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I see what you did there. (laughs) And and hopefully you've heard our cruise medicine episode and all the fun journal clubs in between. Well, we figured it would only be appropriate, especially with all the big summer holidays starting to come up, that we cover one of the most common reasons for visits to a hospital during the vacation season, which is alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. The big three. You know, the things that I'm proud to be an American. (laughs) At least I know I'm free. (laughs) So why don't we start with everybody's favorite, the cause of and solution to all life problems, (laughs) and talk a little bit about alcohol. Ward? Ah, alcohol, the reasons we drink. Well, we're not going to go there. (laughs) I mean, you guys don't happen to have any fun alcohol-type travel stories, do you? None I mean, that I feel comfortable sharing <laughs> with a live audience. I, well, I will say this. I will say this. We talked about alcohol actually frequently in our altitude sickness episode. If you go back to that episode, we talk about um, we talk about the the dangers of drinking. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very dangerous. At least very unpleasant. I will say that. All right. So. Well, embarrassing stories aside, uh, Ward, what does acute uh, alcohol poisoning look like? Well, let's talk about uh, the prevalence of alcohol use. What percentage of people do you think drink regularly or at least drink uh, at some point in their lifetime as amongst a, Americans? As a good internal medicine doc, I have to ask you to clarify what you mean by regularly before I change my answer from 100%. <laughs> as an ER doc, I, I would have thought 100% as well, <laughs> and that includes the doctors. But no, uh, at, reported drank alcohol at some at some time in their life, uh, in, the, in the past year. I'll say 80%. 90? That's, five. A, pretty good, that's a pretty good guess. <laughs> according, yeah. to the, uh, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, yes, that exists, uh, <laughs> 70% of the people reported that they drank in the past year. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
And 56% reported that they drank in the past month. So a lot of people drink. It all it all depends on how much alcohol is in your bloodstream. It, uh, the legal limit is to drive is 0.08, right? We all know that. And okay. there's a reason because between 0.01 and 0.1% blood alcohol level, we feel euphoric and we feel there's going to be mild deficits in coordination, attention, and you know the way we process information. So up to 0.1%. So um, anything above point eight, point zero eight and above, that's illegal. We, you know, we're already impaired. When you go above that, from between point one zero to point two zero percent, you start to exhibit greater deficits in coordination and psychomotor skills, decreased attention, ataxia, market impaired judgment. So you're drunk. So- Pretty much, you're drunk. <laughs> and uh, the taxi for those who are not of medical inclination is the ability to coordinate movements smoothly. Yeah, and mood variability. So you start <laughs> sloppy drunk, angry drunk. You yeah, shut your you damn do. mouth, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's still kind of you know that's still I you know I don't consider that when people come into the ER. At that level, I'm like, okay, what a jerk. But they're not really, their life's not in danger. And, you know, that's, they're just drunk. But when you get up to 0.2 to 0.3%, you start getting incoherent thoughts, confusion. That's when you start vomiting. And uh, then that kicks it up a notch. You, you get, people get a little bit sicker. And when the blood alcohol level exceeds 0.3%, um, depends on how used to alcohol you are. If you're not used to alcohol, if you're not a chronic drunk, you, then that's when stupor, loss of consciousness starts to happen and there's respiratory de- depression and you start to lose the gag reflex and you can vomit and aspirate or just stop breathing altogether. So the the effects of alcohol are essentially that of a downer, a lot like opium is. So it starts to depress things. But the odd thing is people feel better with one drink or one and a half drinks or so. And the reason for this is you're actually inhibiting inhibitions. So some of the first things to go when you're drinking alcohol is that those things, those voices in our head, which are always there saying, oh, don't say exactly what's on your mind and, you know, keep it to yourself, be shy, all those kind of things. Those neurons stop firing or communicating first when alcohol is in our system. Are you telling me someone's been slipping me secret drinks my entire life? (laughs) And then there are some people who are disinhibited all the time. All the time. And then there's Dr. Josh. (laughs) Just no no filter. No whatsoever. Although, to be fair, Josh, I have not had a continuous blood alcohol monitoring system on you, so I can't genuinely say whether you're – your wonderful personality is really due to a constant state of drunkenness or if it's just all you. <laughs> I'm a social lubricant. What we usually say in terms of, you know, how much can you drink before you start hitting those legal limits? The standard recommendations are one glass of wine or one shot of hard liquor or one standard strength beer which is anywhere from five to eight percent alcohol by volume any one of those per hour and your body can keep up metabolize it you can enjoy the drink without becoming impaired there is in fact an alcohol chart and a blood alcohol level chart and i looked that up on drunkdrivinglaws.org i'm not sure I'm not sure how legit that is, but um, it's actually – I've actually heard that not from just this website, but um, it's weight-based. So alcohol distributes through our bloodstream, and how how much alcohol is in your bloodstream depends on how much alcohol you drink and how much blood you have, and that's related to how heavy you are. And if you're at 120 pounds, supposedly you can have up to two drinks, and your blood alcohol level will be around 0.05. 140, you can push it up to three drinks, according to this chart. I'm not recommending it personally myself. And 200 pounds, you know, it may take up to three or four drinks before you get up to that 0.08 limit. 
these are not high scores to shoot for, by the way. These are not high scores yeah. to shoot for, and it doesn't really matter if you follow the chart. If on that breathalyzer you're .08 or above, that's it. You're that's legally it. drunk. Yeah. And so, you know, one more thing to say uh, for me as a pediatrician, please do not f- try to follow this chart if you are under, certainly if you're under 21 years of age. But if you are a younger person, if you're in your adolescence, if you're skinny, if you're small, then the kinetics or the process of breakdown over time changes it's it's quite different in a child and an adolescent versus an adult so this does not hold for kids who are not fully mature and it doesn't hold for some people who are fully mature but children and adolescents certainly please be careful because you can actually become poisoned at a much different rate than what you think uh, when when you're ingesting alcohol. Have you guys ever been to any of the countries where the public drunkenness or the the alcohol and drunk in public is the laws are very draconian or they'll really throw you in jail for the slightest bit? Singapore is pretty heavily regulated, as yeah. is Malaysia. Um Singapore. And some parts of India as well. No. Yeah, I would have thought India, but you know, I, I did not see that many public drunkenness in India. Well, it's it's a social taboo in India, and they will try to catch you, but there's so many damn people <laughs> that the cops don't have a lot of time to mess with a you know just a random drunk. Random but drunk. yes, we should remind all of our people who are drinking abroad that please do know what legal limits are in public and in cars in the cities and countries which you're going to visit, because not only are the limits different than the United States, but the consequences consequences might be very different. I will also throw in briefly, since you mentioned India, and we had a a brief mention of this in our very first episode, please keep in mind that the water is not necessarily safe in other countries, and if you are (laughs) drinking, say, wine or hard liquor, ice cubes made of water. So... (laughs) Be aware that that still have all the same bacteria floating around in it. And I mention this because when Ward and I were in India, we were foolish enough to try Indian wine, which would have been otherwise delicious, except for the fact that it was probably watered down. And <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, we paid price for that we, one. We paid rather dearly for that. Later. And please don't make the assumption that, oh, this is alcohol. Bacteria can't live in alcohol. No, 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 my friends. There are many different types of bacteria, and many of them have tolerances for various percentages of ethanol. So there are plenty of dangerous pathogens which can cause vomiting and diarrhea and still survive the 8% or so ethanol content of some drinks. Yeah, sometimes bacteria like getting just as drunk as you. <laughs> Those are called fermenters. Oh, education kicking in. <laughs> I ferment to mention that. <laughs> so, let's, so let's take a break here briefly and talk about some of the various alcohols around the world that you may want to watch out for and or avoid. Now, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I did spend a brief period training in traditional Chinese medicine in Beijing. And during that time, uh, I was, you know, eating traditional Chinese food out of alleyways, stalls, and (laughs) I was was living a very not first world life. (laughs) And one of the things... We were happy that you came back alive, Josh. I, I'll admit, there was a little bit of surprise. I did love the night market in China, which which we can talk about a bit later. Um, I was probably the only white person there who all the stall vendors were suitably impressed by the fact that I had not died yet. <laughs> because they're like, well, yeah, we'll, we'll put it on a stick and this guy will eat it. 
<laughs> this is a good time to mention that doctors are horrible patients. Oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. love to give advice. We love to give advice. We rarely take it, especially if it's our own advice. But one of the things I came across um, surprisingly often in Beijing, and I think the first fun alcohol to mention, is snake wine. Mm. Yeah. And you will find this uh, certainly in China, also in Vietnam. It'll be throughout Asia. The vari the actual snake will depend, but what you will see is a snake in some bottle of essentially bathtub gin. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Sealed with what they call wax is probably reddish duct tape. <laughs> and they will offer it to anyone they think will drink it. You know, special price for, for you, friend, only today. <laughs> and people, I'm sure, are wondering, you know, how safe is this? So you you might ask, why would anybody drink alcohol with a snake sitting in it anyway? Oh, it's a challenge. Yeah. People is it like a it. flavor thing, like the worm in tequila? In tequila. <laughs> uh, it's actually supposed to be a potency and virility thing, meaning... Oh. You take on, I don't know, the snake's juju, and it makes you very, very manly. Oh. And this is actually a concept that you'll see a lot also come up in scorpion wine or scorpion vodka. Ah. Um, it's supposed to be, you know, it's it's supposed to be a source of, you know, good juju for, for your loving. Uh, liquid Virility. Viagra. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So... One of the things I took the time to really find out, because I'm foolish, but I'm... You know, even I draw a line somewhere. Yeah, did you try it? I was going to say. But... Well, the first thing I did is I went back and I got my Harrisons and I got my Chinese medical textbooks and I talked to all the people. I'm like, all right, what... You know, virility aside, what is the real danger in doing this? And sure. surprisingly enough, depending on how long the snake has been in the bottle, and this is a very important thing, which you will – here's the problem. You'll never, ever know. <laughs> There's no, there is no standardization here. Sure, sure. But the ethanol itself kills the full effect of the venom and denatures the proteins. So you're not actually drinking the venom. What you're drinking is – broken down venom, some degree of fermented rotting snake meat, and <laughs> bathtub gin. So will it kill you from snake venom? Surprisingly, the answer is no. Will it, okay. will it taste good? Unsurprisingly, the answer is also no. <laughs> so I did try a, a small glass of snake wine, and this was at one of the five-star... Uh, hotels down near Xi'an, so I could be reasonably certain that, at the very least, these snakes had not been freshly caught yesterday, and that the venom had been in there long enough to dilute somewhat. And sure. it seems like it has, it does have to be a venomous snake then? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, okay. So you can't just get a garter snake out of the back? Uh, and, no, and no. I think cobras, if you're going to drink... Cobras look much more impressive. Yeah. If you're going to drink a snake wine, you might as well go all the way. <laughs> One of the other drinks I came across in China but opted to not try is the next on our list, baby mice wine. Oh, wow. <laughs> this Chinese people are very inventive. I'll give them that. And yeah. they basically, in order to solve the rodent problem, uh, they would set out a number of, you know, we do little mouse traps with cheese. They yeah. would leave out tiny, tiny jars with just enough alcohol in them that the mouse would crawl in, but then it would be unable to get out. And Makes then, sense. Makes sense. So it's it's both a mouse trap, and then you overwhelm that you you know put the jar upright, you pour wine into it, and you let all the mice you caught just agitate for a year, and you have your own homemade baby mice wine and a mice free yeah. home too. <laughs> what is the rationale behind? A mouse wine. I could not, for the life of me, find out. <laughs> it just it's it's in the bottle, so let's drink it. I mean, I mean having uh, traveled to Asia as well, I have seen just about anything pickled in a 
spirit jar. I think we I think we saw a rapist pickled in this. We did. Jar. We did actually Thailand. in the Thailand Museum of Pathology. Yeah. Oh really? We try the rapist wine, but yeah, we did not try the rapist wine. <laughs> there was just about any anything yeah, oh in, the, in, the, in these markets. Okay. Now, now moving a little bit further afield to the other, well, not the other side of the world, but another culture. Um, I say vodka. What immediately comes to your mind? Russia. Russia. Yeah, and the next most common, apparently, is scorpion. Because why not? So to everyone <laughs> who thinks vodka is just a lady's poison. Some Russians have taken it to the next level and have dropped scorpion, has a full-length scorpion preserved in the vodka. And again, it's used for intensifying sexual desire and also for back and body muscle pain. Oh, and the scorpion can be eaten without any harm along with its stinger. Uh, now, yeah. again, the, in this case, again, just like with the snake wine, the ethanol will dilute the scorpion's poison so as long as it has been in there long enough and we're talking you know at least a year you are not in any danger of the poison unlike the snake which is slowly rotting in the alcohol or at least being preserved the scorpion because it's an insect because it's chitinous can actually be eaten there's no soft tissues for bacteria to grow on it's all a hard exoskeleton so the scorpion is like the worm in the tequila and can be safely eaten. And one of the foods that I had a great time eating in China was deep fried scorpion, which tastes a lot like those shrimp chips you can buy at the Asian markets. Oh, that's wild. That's not bad, then. Here I am, the non-drinking, non-meat-eating guy. <laughs> I vicariously live through you guys, I swear. Scorpions aren't meat. <laughs> I suppose they aren't. <laughs> it's practically a vegetable. <laughs> yeah, so these are, these are some wonderful alcohols around the world. I will say if it isn't a known alcohol, so for instance, it's just a bottle of something, I will caution all of our listeners Please be careful. I know it's one of these fun European backpacking things to eat and drink whatever is around, especially in, you know, the, the back alley pubs and what have you. But I do want to caution, especially the young'uns, you're going to find things with way too much ethanol in it, which is really going to hurt you. But you'll also find things which are impure. So spirits that are made, just like Josh said, in a bathtub... <laughs> Uh, some sort of bathtub gin, but it might be made in a tub where there was mercury or lead or any other heavy metal, which can actually cause psychosis or brain damage over even the short term. So please, please be careful of drinking abroad. If it's a well-known liquor out of a large batch bottle, chances are you're going to be okay. But those unmarked bottles and a swig of something which someone said they made in their backyard, I would say no. Yeah, stick to Grey Goose Scorpion Vodka. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, Definitely. though, speaking of the impurities, you bring up an excellent point. There's no guarantee in some of these places that you're even getting ethanol. Um, sure, so sure. Why, don't we, why don't we move on? We'll, we'll come back into the medical side of things and talk a little bit about methanol and propylene glycol. So what are the other things that people drink that mimic alcohol but cause much, much worse problems? Yeah, Ward. So can you tell us uh, a little bit, you know, ethanol is ethyl alcohol. That's what's in beer, wine, etc. So methanol, methyl alcohol or methanol, what is it and where do you find it and why do people drink it? Well, methanol is a what we call wood alcohol. It's it's a it's an alcohol, but it's chemically different from ethanol. Nobody drinks it except you know maybe alcoholics, and may, it might show up in illegal moonshine that's not well made. And sometimes they they add the methanol in just because it's cheaper because it's it's mass produced industrial alcohol. Yeah, or when they're trying to manufacture or distill ethyl alcohol, sometimes you get contaminating chemicals in there like methanol. Yeah, it, I, actually it naturally occurs in some fruits and uh, fruit peels and things like that that you, the stuff they put into the uh, 
fermentation process and when you distill all that stuff and concentrate it it can get into you know to- into toxic doses uh but methanol itself is extremely extremely toxic it methanol itself isn't toxic but your body converts it into uh, a toxic chemical and that's extremely neurotoxic so um, it can cause blindness, uh, seizures, and it can kill pretty much all your nerves, including your central nervous system, which is your brain. Yeah. So this is an acute poisoning. This is they take it in and they'll go down hard. Fast. They'll go down hard and die quickly. And actually, kind of related to that, um, in urban settings, we it, occasionally in ERs we see people who drink alcohol that's not eth- that's not ethanol that's not moonshine that's not that's not regular alcohol because they don't have the access to regular alcohol they sometimes i will see you know we might have alcoholic who's who, alcoholics who just pick up a bottle of antifreeze and use that to get drunk and it won't get you <laughs> drunk but it'll also kill you <laughs> and antifreeze is a different alcohol molecule right that's ethylene glycol that's ethylene glycol yeah and they're both uh that's also a toxic alcohol and your body cannot metabolize it and uh if you drink that you will die so that's the one that'll form crystals huh and actually clog they, up kidneys you know the toxicity of methanol and ethylene glycol affect many different um uh organ systems uh they can both cause a metabolic acidosis and in addition ethylene glycol can cause little crystals to form in your kidneys and cause complete uh, renal failure. Oof. But if you yeah. get the kidneys out, the uh, crystals are very beautiful. They're pretty. <laughs> Glow in the dark from what I hear. No. <laughs> oh. that's, actually an, that's actually an additive that they put in the <laughs> antifreeze to, to identify itself as antifreeze. Oh, wow. So when there's a yeah. coolant leak, they put the they, they turn on the, you know, uh, the black light and it glows. Oh, it uh, yeah. it uh, it actually uh, fluoresces. That's an additive. Yeah, that's an additive. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I actually wish they would put another additive, which is to actually turn off the taste in ethylene glycol. To all parents who are listening and any kids who are old enough to understand, ethylene glycol actually tastes sweet. It has a sugary taste to it. So if you keep antifreeze around, so for instance, if you like to work on your car, if you need to pour that into your engine every now and again for whatever reason, or sometimes the ethylene glycol is contained in windshield washer fluid in places like New York where you get really bad ice storms. Or Chicago. Or Chicago. Pretty much anywhere outside of California and Florida. (laughs) The, The taste of this stuff is rather sweet. It's attractive. So if little kids and animals, so your pets, if they pick up on it, they might just drink it thinking it's candy or sugar water or juice. And some of it looks really beautiful too, like this beautiful iridescent blue color, almost like, you know, like a box drink. Like so, adults know this looks dangerous. Why should I do not drink that glowing bottle of <laughs> But you know, kids drinks yeah, I'm sure you guys have yeah. seen kids, kids drinks. Kids drinks are per you know, this is like the Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Water sugar purple. <laughs> it's purple drink. <laughs> Give me some grape drink, sugar water purple. So this ethylene glycol is a lot like that. It's it's a blue, it's very beautiful to look at, and it tastes sugary sweet. So kids may drink it thinking that it's a juice, and they can get poisoned very quickly. It can cause that same central nervous system problem, so brain damage, and it can cause kidney damage, and some of it is irreversible. So please keep this stuff away from the kids and pets. And the treatment for both... Both of these toxic alcohols is pretty nasty. It's it's dialysis, pretty much. And, yeah. and that's some pretty well. It's dialysis as well as uh, essentially drowning you in alcohol, like giving yeah. your body toxic amounts of alcohol to compete with this uh, toxic non-alcohol. So not only are you at risk of losing your kidneys, but I have had a couple patients who, in the midst of dialysis, have been rip roaring drunk. Because the only way to prevent the toxic methanol or ethylene glycol from being broken down by their kidneys is to give them alcohol to compete with it. And you have not <laughs> lived until you've had 
a drunk man on dialysis throwing things at you. Let me tell <laughs> oh you. Oh my. That is a you... old school treatment. Alcohol, just old fashioned alcohol drips. Well, <laughs> we had one particular gentleman who not only was a, a chronic alcoholic, but was also a chronic intravenous drug user. So the nurses could not get an IV in him with which to give saline. And while they were waiting for dialysis, he essentially was given medically prescribed beer. We had to send one of the interns out to the liquor store. <laughs> That's fantastic. And give him, you know, one can of beer every 30 minutes <laughs> while he was being dialyzed. And wow. let me tell you, he was not a friendly drunk. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is that is an old treatment before we had dialysis. That's right. So if if you want to get just a little more technical, there are enzymes that break down ethanol, methanol, and ethylene glycol into various metabolites. So the metabolites of methanol and ethylene glycol are toxic, and you don't want those enzymes working on those molecules. So you give the ethanol. And these enzymes will be kind of more attracted to the ethanol molecules than the methanol and the ethylene glycol. And it'll break down the ethanol instead and let the methanol and ethylene glycol get dialyzed out in the machine um, unchanged so that you are not in danger of having the toxic stuff build up Um yeah, yeah, that's that was kind of like battlefield medicine, right? If someone got poisoned out in the field, you had to do that before there was ever dialysis. It's also still used in many third world areas where they don't have access to some of the same technology and medicines that we do here. You just keep people drunk and hope for the best. Right. Um, so I think that that covers a lot of the most common sort of alcohol injuries that you're going to see in the short term. Would you guys agree? Oh, yeah. oh, let me talk about hangovers real fast. Ooh, oh, hangovers. <laughs> oh, yeah. We certainly want so, to know how to fix that. Yeah, let's go back to, you know, not let's let's not go back to dialysis. I mean, <laughs> that that's hardcore. You know, mo for most people who had a few too many drinks, you know, you're not going to end up on dialysis. You'll just get a bad hangover. And what is hangover? <laughs> it I think is... we're still trying to figure that out, aren't we? Well, hangover is actually a a cluster of symptoms and you know it's thought of that it's most people think that many factors contribute to hangovers and i personally i will say i had my first hangover in college and <laughs> you feel this awful fatigue and you feel just this awful nausea and you just feel tired increased sensitivity to light and sound so loud noises and bright lights will bother you some people get this awful headache and the sensation of room spinning inability to concentrate, just this feeling lousy in general. So the causes of uh, hangover is thought of uh, to be multifactorial. A lot of things cause it. Uh, first of all, you uh, people get dehydrated when they drink a lot. They're not drinking water. Alcohol actually causes you to produce more urine, so you dehydrate yourself even more. And on top of that, you're not, you're not eating food in general when you're drunk, so your body is not getting enough sugar, so you're metabolizing fat and alcohol, and then your body gets built into something called ketosis, or alcoholic ketosis and starvation ketosis. So the ketones are just make you feel awful and nauseous and dizzy. You don't sleep as well, so you're not well rested. It disturbs your sleep cycle. So all these things combined cause that awful symptom we call hangovers. And did you know that certain drinks are thought of as more likely to cause hangovers than others? Is tequila sure. one of them? <laughs> oh, you betcha. Tequila is at the top of the list. So Mythbusters actually played this game of like beer before liquor and liquor after beer or something like that. And they actually found out, at least with their very small sample size, that was really no difference between if they mixed their liquor and their beers or if they had their beers first or whatever. Well, it's not so much whether or not you mix them. It's the overall amount you drink. And in addition to just alcohol, um, alcoholic beverages contain other stuff. They call it congeners, and those are little ketones, little extra um, extra chemicals that are added to the to, to, to that drink. 
and drinks with higher congeners include darker drinks, so bourbon, scotch, tequila, brandy, red wine, and darker colored beers. So the good stuff. <laughs> Makes and sense. And it's thought of as the lighter colored drinks like white wine, gin, and vodka are thought of less likely to cause a hangover. So At least according to mayoclinic.org. Okay. So this is the stuff that's straight alcohol plus water rather than alcohol yeah. plus a bunch of other additives. Yeah, and other stuff obviously puts you at more risk for hangovers as well, such as you know drinking on an empty stomach, uh, not sleeping well, not getting enough rest, taking other stuff like nicotine and other drugs. Interestingly enough, there have been so, so many studies on what will help cure a hangover. Hair of the dog, not literal dog hair but a follow-up a follow-up drink in the morning doesn't really seem to help unless again you're a chronic alcoholic that's that's a whole other issue but greasy food surprisingly to provide some relief of the hangover and unfortunately i couldn't find the study that explained why that is and it is a very small study and anecdotal at best but it's justifiable for me to keep eating, you know, bacon and hash in the morning. <laughs> so well, I'm gonna go with it. I looked at I looked at a website that listed all the different hangover treatments from all over the world, and they seem to have this this thing in common. It's salty, fatty soups. <laughs> oh yeah, menudo. Menudo is supposed menudo? to be one of the best menudo hangover works really well. cures in the world. And this fatty, salty Korean soup, and um, um, yeah, it, it, salty, fatty food seems to be a common theme amongst hangover cures. And yeah, have that... you noticed what is all bar food? Fatty, salty, fatty food? yeah, yeah, salty, fatty foods. The <laughs> weirdest one I found was, um, according to some studies, um, stink beetles have been, stink bugs have been listed as a hangover cure you'd have to be really hungover you'd have to be pretty hungover <laughs> i don't want to think about how hungover i would have to feel to look at a stink beetle and be like yeah that seems they like taste, a good idea they taste like apples according to some websites look pickle juice in russia salty you know watery stuff um tripe menudo in mexico they're all salty fatty soupy things so sure, who's, sure. who's eating stink beetles it didn't say. But, uh, <laughs> I feel like this is one of those websites. This is like one of those stands in in China in the night market I went to. It's like, hey, hey, look, a foreigner. Let's tell him. I don't know. Hey, what do we have around? Oh, I caught these stink beetles yesterday. Yeah, yeah, stink beetles. Those are a hangover cure. Hey, buddy, come here. Were... <laughs> I think they were actively trying to murder you, Josh. <laughs> It makes the most sense that someone tr was trying to prank somebody and uh, and actually be like, hey, I bet this will cure your hangover. <laughs> and then, of course, they turn around. They're like, hey, it worked. <laughs> sure, because what's you your first instinct? You're no longer hungover. What's your first instinct when you eat something horrible? Oh, this is awful. Try it. Try it. <laughs> so, well, I think that's that's everything – we can say in the short term about alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, drink responsibly. Um, interestingly enough, one fun fact, do you know what one word no alcohol commercials are allowed to use in their advertising? Uh, no, what is it? Delicious? Yes. No. Delicious. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. I was totally guessing. <laughs> wow. Not healthy. It's... They're allowed to say healthy. They're allowed okay. to say locale. Sure. No alcohol advertising, at least in the U.S., is allowed to use the word delicious. Weird. Huh. Or, I wonder why. Or refreshing. refreshing. So, I, I hear refreshing all the time. Oh, no, the... you don't. No? You don't. Go back. Okay. Go back. Hunt it down. So delicious and refreshing are verboten. Huh? Okay. <laughs> now, again, that's that's as of, I believe, 2000 and nine but right. i will i will have to follow up on that so, well you know what there are enough alcoholics in our country you certainly don't need help yes. with words like refreshing and delicious yes <laughs> so let's move on from alcohol to 
tobacco. Now, I'm going to just very briefly say, guys, if you don't know that tobacco is bad for you and this is the <laughs> first time you're hearing it, well, then pay attention. Tobacco <laughs> is bad for you. It does not matter if you smoke it, chew it, roll around naked in it. It is just not a good thing for you ever. Causes cancer, causes breathing problems, causes changes to your vocal cords. There are so many things that I could devote an entire episode to it. I'm not going to. However, I learned about a fascinating alternative I was completely unaware of. And uh, Santo Ward, why don't you tell us about this new robot attack from Skynet? to to take over our children and lungs and all those things. I, I actually want to let Ward t- talk about most of this because I think he uh, he knows more than I do. But I just want to say that uh, of people who know things about pop culture, Josh is way, way up there. And yeah, for I was him surprised not- that Josh has never heard us yeah. eat cigarettes. Oh, poor guys, Dr. Josh. There are robot cigarettes. How did I miss this? <laughs> there are e-cigarettes out there. So as bad as regular tobacco cigarettes are, your your Marlboros and what have you, there is a new breed of tobacco inhalation called e-cigs. And with that word, please take it away. <laughs> Well, if you live in Silver Lake in L.A. or anywhere in San Francisco, you would have seen them. them. Um, they are electronic cigarettes. So they look like <laughs> some of them look like cigarettes. They're actually shaped like a cigarette. It's a little cartridge with nicotine liquid inside. And when you inhale, it gets vaporized and you're you're actually inhaling water vapor with uh, nicotine in it. And they often come flavored with mint, apricot, fruit-flavored products. It is currently not regulated like cigarette cigarettes are by the FDA. That's And that is kind of interesting. So there are no warning labels on it. They're not required to have any... I, I don't think they are required to card anybody, are they? Or are they? Because it technically is a tobacco product. Yeah, I don't know if there's a national law on it or a, even a state law on it. I think local, locally they might have some regulations about it, but uh, sure. as far as I know, no. I'm... This is like the Generation 1 Terminator, you guys. Like, this is before we hit Arnold. It's robots are just trying to get into our lungs and just... Uh, you guys, you can smoke robots. That is, that is astounding to me and terrifying. Yeah. So, liquid nicotine... I would like to point out, pure liquid nicotine can kill an adult human male with as little as one tablespoon. Right, if it's concentrated, absolutely. Isn't it's concentrated in these cigarettes, isn't it? Isn't that the it's point? Pure. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. pure. Exactly, it's dissolved nicotine. Uh, I don't believe there is actually really a tobacco product with it. It it is just nicotine and and water, and it's and- made to just. Vaporized. Well, it's nicotine. It's nicotine, uh, water, and God knows what else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's about as regulated as any other nutritional supplement. <laughs> so in 2009, uh, the FDA actually conduct conducted a bunch of tests and found detectable levels of uh, many toxic cancer causing chemicals, and including ingredients using antifreeze that's coming back again <laughs> variable levels of nicotine it's not like a standard amount of nicotine that you get in each cartridge so one brand of e-cigs might have a diff- completely different concentration of nicotine from the next from the next brand or even the next cartridge now yeah. in the interest of fairness yes they can help you quit smoking and the studies do seem to bear out that in terms of sheer number of known carcinogens, that e-cigs seem to have less than traditional cigarettes, mostly because with cigarettes, you're lighting plant matter on fire and inhaling ash, inhaling the tobacco products and preservatives and all those things. With e-cigs, it's unknown amounts of whatever, plus water, plus liquid nicotine. So in terms of the science to date, yes, they are 
I guess, marginally less harmful than conventional cigarettes. If you're trying to quit smoking, sure, good option. If you have never smoked before, keep up with that. Good job. Give yourself yeah, a high five. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Parents, do be warned. These things are not regulated, and they are a way to smoke without needing to be 21 or, or and maybe in some cases not even get carded. They have kind of a cool allure about them because they're electronic and they have a beautiful little LED which lights up, but they are very, very bad for you. So e-cigs no and welcome to the future. <laughs> so can it like give you email? Like I'm just picturing someone holding this up to their thing and they would take like a big puff of smoke and then all of a sudden the smoke spells out like, you've got mail. And then they twist open their cigarette and like start reading text messages and emojis. And holy shit, you guys, this is seriously. <laughs> so you I, got I, cancer. I, I, I am on a page that says Super Smoker Bluetooth, the first ever e-cigarette with Bluetooth phone function. In 2007, we introduced the first electronic cigarette in the world. Seven years later, we're changing the world of electronic smoking for good with the first Super Smoker that can be used to make calls and receive via Bluetooth and play music via the built-in microphone. And this is being sold in Europe. It is 79 pounds and 95 pence. And you can find other E6 with Bluetooth. So, yes, Josh, you're absolutely right. It will sync up to your phone. And God damn you, tobacco lobby, if only we had your numbers. Why can't we do this with asthma inhalers? <laughs> We really should. We should. We should be making asthma inhalers yeah, cool. Why don't they the light way... up? Oh my God, you guys! Sweet. <laughs> this this could be another money making idea on par with our craft antibiotic movement. Yeah, asthma candy crush. Like the the more consistently you took your medication on time, like it you know put a little puzzle piece in place. I don't even have asthma, and I will have a couple of puffs just to, yeah. <laughs> just to try it. Just to see the thing light up. Let's move on to our, our final topic of of the podcast, uh, firearms. So I'm going to give you guys a brief bit of history, and then I think, Ward, I'll hand it off to you because you are the most likely to see firearm-type injuries. So, and I do, yes. So gunshot wounds, until the... 1880s, which I think most of our listeners are starting to figure out, is kind of like one of my favorite periods of history. The standard practice for treating a gunshot wound called for physicians to insert their unsterilized fingers into the wound to probe and locate the path of the bullet. Germ theory, meaning that germs cause diseases, Joseph Lister's technique for antiseptic surgery, you know, which is what we call universal precautions today and right. cleaning and making sure everything's sterile, which was first demonstrated in 1865 and to the Civil War, had not yet been accepted as a standard practice. Joseph Lister was actually almost laughed out of the medical profession at the time for suggesting that, hey, guys, maybe we should wash our medical tools. And the doctors were all like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over my hands deep in this guy. I'm going to pull them out and plug them in my ears, la, 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 la. And, for, you know, for example, 16 doctors attended to James A. Garfield's after he was shot. And all 16 of them probed the wounds with their fingers or dirty instruments. And unsurprisingly, historians agree that massive infection was a significant factor in President Garfield's death. <laughs> at, almost, at almost the same time in Tombstone, Arizona, in July 1881, although that is the good, bad, and the ugly, but let's move on. A gentleman known as George E. Goodfellow performed the first laparotomy to treat an abdominal gunshot wound. He washed – this was a miner in a town who had gotten into essentially a minor bar fight in the Old West. Right. He washed the patient's wound and his hands with lye soap and whiskey. And unlike President Garfield, the miner survived. And this George E. Goodfellow became America's leading authority on gunshot wounds in the Old West – was widely recognized for his skill and technique and is credited as the United States' first civilian trauma surgeon. 
<laughs> That's one huh. good fellow. Right? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes things just come together. So, oh, yeah. you guys, if you're interested in learning more about Joseph Lister, who is, yes, the inspiration behind Listerine, uh-huh. you and, should and listen. The namesake for Listeria, I believe, yes. the bacteria. Yes. Yeah. There is another podcast we occasionally listen to, I don't think they're even aware of us, called Stuff You Missed in History Class. And they do oh, a whole episode on Joseph Lister, which is absolutely fascinating, and I will not geek out about it anymore here. <laughs> so, Ward, gunshot expert of the three of us, why don't you tell us what kind of things you see, what sort of injuries firearms cause, all that good stuff? Oh boy, <laughs> nowhere to go with this. Uh... I mean, I'm sure you, because you were in New York as well right. as San Francisco for your training, so you were in two very big cities do you have a story that really sticks out in terms of a gunshot wound that that you think of as kind of a i will say that just like josh was saying um trauma care care for the for the injured by um gunshots have come a long way we've we went from sticking fingers in all holes to uh to nowadays where a lot of the gunshot wounds, sometimes the gunshot wounds aren't even treated surgically anymore. We, we have ways of figuring out which way the bullet traveled through CT scans. And there are times when if it just exits a certain way, we, you don't have to explore certain areas anymore. What else can I say about gunshot wounds? Here's here's something that I think a lot of people don't know. In a lot of cases, you don't even take the bullet out. People are yeah. still walking around with bullets that are in them years and years later, and it doesn't really pose any increased risk to health. Your health. Yeah, it all depends on which way the bullet went and where did it go. I mean, inside the belly is a tricky place because it could have. You don't you don't want the bullet to rupture anything. So if it ruptured a blood vessel, if it ruptured a hollow viscous, meaning your intestines, if it ruptured a vein. Uh, that's where the problem comes from. And if it's just sitting somewhere near a bone inside a muscle, sometimes fishing that bullet out, you have to cut through more stuff than it's than it's worth. So you're doing more harm than good. You're doing more harm than good by digging through healthy tissue yeah. and he- healthy muscles to dig out that one bullet, meanwhile destroying muscles and arteries and veins just to get to it. Right. Yeah, and this is where I've seen quite a few really bad infections develop where a child, unfortunately, so a lot of these times it'll be a kid who's caught in crossfire in gang warfare or in a shootout. And what will happen is when the bullet enters the abdomen, the liver... The intestines are all vulnerable to rupture, and the wonderful bacteria which live in our intestines are fine as long as they stay inside. Once they get out into the abdomen, a lot of them can make pus, and they can start to actually eat away at the rest of you. The most immediate damaging effect of a bullet, as as I think both Ward and Santosh have been implying, is that severe bleeding and there's always the potential for hypovolemic shock i mean you're basically just filled with a whole bunch of bacteria filled water balloons on your insides yeah yeah. (laughs) and blood pipes blood filled yeah Yeah. you're you're walking around with blood and bacteria filled water balloons just jiggling around (laughs) all over the place inside you yeah we think we're so special i do i do have a tip for believe it or not this is a tip for uh the common the lay person who actually that is not as common knowledge as I would like. If you get shot or stabbed, call 911. Get the <laughs> medics. Do not walk into a hospital, get somebody to drive you in a Toyota, you know, or get somebody to drive you 15 miles to the closest ER and then just walk, you know. Don't do that. Drop you because, off in the ambulance bay. <laughs> oh, my God. Because not all hospitals are equally equipped to deal with traumas. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and, the medics are trained to take you to specific the centers. Are, the yes. medics have medical directors, and they have directions. They they know specifically exactly which hospital to take you to, where they can properly take care of you. And 
Josh and Ward, when you're dealing with gunshot wounds, there is something we should note to all of our travelers. I think if it's a gunshot wound, you guys do have to report it to your to a local authority, correct? That is correct. That's all, correct, yeah. All gunshot wounds are reportable. All right. So please don't try to yell at your doctor or whatever. Doc, don't do it. Or I'm sorry. They're bound by law because a gunshot wound is almost 100% of the time a violent crime. So <laughs> it needs to be taken care of by the proper authorities. Now, I'm going to move just a little bit outside and mention one of the other, shall we say, still falls within the realm of gunshot injuries that I think a lot of people probably don't think of in the same category as gunshot wounds, but is going to be much, much more common over vacation periods. <laughs> oh, Josh. <laughs> All right, go for it. Go for it. I, I, I don't understand. Like, this is a valid look, man. This hurts. Oh, this hurts, all right? No, no it hurts. I've, I've I seen not, the bruises. I may not be the hardest, baddest, you know, mother lover on the planet, but I've been shot a couple times. I'm sure, not ashamed sure. to say. And, and it's been while playing paintball. Yes, oh. paintball. A popular combat game. More than 5 million participants per year. And paintball actually can cause a number of injuries. Granted, not as bad as gunshot wounds. Not sure. trying not trying to draw that comparison. I think it is good to to end on a little bit of a light note because you're right. We see eye injuries, we see soft tissue injuries, bad bruises, and uh, sometimes when those paintball guns are set at the wrong pressure, as in some crazy person's trying to launch these things at 5,000 miles per hour, then people really, really get hurt. Now, paintballs will cause a standard ring-shaped mark when they hit you. These bruises can last a long time. We went out for one buddy's bachelor party on a fun little paintball-filled trip, and this particular bachelor got shot in the back by a number of his teammates. And five, five, six months later at his wedding, those bruises were still there. <laughs> now, we happen to know where they came from. But this ring, this Wait a ring. Minute, you guys saw this bachelor shirtless on his wedding day? <laughs> That is awesome. Decline to state. <laughs> uh, no, one of them was on his neck. One was on the back sure, of his sure. neck, where it was still where it was still visible. So, oh, but sometimes you go into a big changing room to all change into your tuxes. I've been there uh, when you're part of a wedding party. So yeah. there's actually a name for this for this bruise that's called paintball purpura. And that's because it's so common that sometimes it can be confused. It's a ring-shaped bruise that's a little raised around the edges from where the paint itself can occasionally cause a dermatitis or inflammation reaction. And there were a lot of times where, you know, young kids were coming into ERs and doctor's offices and they would think, oh my gosh, did they get some kind of tick bite or bacterial infection or something like that because this has some similarities in appearance. And then once a careful history was taken, they learned, oh no, I just got shot and these little rings are all over my body. So <laughs> that is not fatal. It's certainly painful. Sure. But unlike gun guns and gunshot wounds, which are penetrating injuries, paintball wounds are blunt force trauma. So if you're hit at point-blank range with a paintball, you absolutely can still cause internal bleeding in areas like the spleen. You can cause some dissections of vessels. That's why face masks are so important. There's been many instances of people being blinded when they get blunt force trauma to the eye without wearing goggles. That's true. And... Again, you know, it's it sounds very silly to put paintballs into, you know, firearm injuries, but 
wear a mask that covers the eyes, nose, mouth, and ears at all times, and even with all of that, wear protective headgear, because sometimes there have been some instances of subdural hematomas, or little hemorrhages in the scalp in the area not covered by the mask. So do yeah. not shoot people at close range. Do not shoot your teammates. <laughs> and please don't just take your paintball out on any old place and, you know, shoot your friends a la jackass in your backyard. Uh, there's one really simple thing you can actually do is that every good paintball range should actually have a place where you test the PSI of the gun. And I believe that all of them will actually make sure that the guns aren't firing the pellets faster than they ought to. So that's one really easy thing you can do and just calibrate the gun and make sure that you're not cranked it up to, you know, mega shot. <laughs> how, and, how did you do Josh in that, in that big um, bachelor party? Did you end up with a lot of bruises yourself? Uh, quite a few, but I I am what's known as a paintball berserker. Huh. <laughs> so you just go out there and ruin everything. I oh, nice. I would post up in a good sniper nest, wait all of five, sometimes six minutes, decide <laughs> that people weren't leaving cover fast enough, and then I would just pick a target and charge straight at them, firing until I was taken down. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'll remember that. You would be surprised what a effective technique that is. Paintballs <laughs> are not the most accurate guns, and most people do not expect to see a 120-pound skinny white dude charging at them screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the initial reaction is not let me line up a careful sight because I don't play with a lot of military professionals. The initial reaction is, holy crap. What? What do you know that I don't? <laughs> Just bearing down. That's why it's plus two to attack, minus two to defense, D&D geeks out there. Yes, I am I am yeah. a berserker by nature. So that, that wraps up alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Let's breathe. Josh, yes. I, I would like to put a safety plug in, and this can go in anywhere if, if you'd like to put it elsewhere in. I would like to put in a safety plug for gun safety. Those of you who carry firearms for, you know, protecting your homes, that kind of a thing, especially handguns, please do the following. Please keep ammo and weapons separate, safety on at all times. Please inform children as often as possible that these are dangerous weapons. They shouldn't be handling them. There are so many avoidable accidents with kids getting shot because they find their mom or their dad's handgun loaded with the safety off please 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 take care of this and if the state of florida is listening for the love of god get rid of this legislation where doctors can't talk to families about guns because you guys are hurting everybody cut it out so Amen. let's move on so that brings us to this week's just the tip which appropriately enough is a place we've been talking about throughout this episode Wang Fu Jing's Snack Street in Beijing. Now, the characters for Wang Fu Jing literally translate out to Prince's Mansion Well. My command of Mandarin is not what it used to be, so I cannot give you any more etymology behind that. But it is a famous local snack street and night market located in Beijing, China. It's a pedestrianized walkway. It's a very popular shopping district. There was a well full of sweet water in the area, and there's many exotic foods served on Wang Fujing Snack Street. So when I say exotic foods, what... What did you end up seeing? Yeah, I was going to say. What do you suppose I'm referring to? There are deep-fried starfish for sale. There are sparrow kebabs. There are sea snakes, deep-fried scorpions, both large, full-grown, and baby. There are larvae, which have a crispy outer shell and a what I can only describe as a gooey organ filling. Oh. 
And if you know why I know that it's a gooey organ filling, you would be correct in assuming that I tasted the great majority of things on the street. They also have seahorse, deep fried again. Now, the reason they deep fry a lot of these is that it basically boils off and flame destroys the majority of bacteria that would be on there. So they all taste very similar, but for the most part, are in fact safe to eat. A lot are acquired tastes. A lot of it is tourist baiting. You will not see most of the average Chinese. And Ward, I, I forget when you came to San Jose, <laughs> but I don't I, know how much of this stuff you were eating in your childhood. Well, I lived in Shanghai, and uh, I was born in Shanghai, and I, I moved here when I was nine. But I've never, ever seen a deep-fried seahorse or a uh, deep-fried larva when I was living in Shanghai. I actually have been to, to that street you were talking about, the Wang Fujing, mm -hmm. is it? And <laughs> this is how bad of a tourist I am. You know, uh, the, you kind of have to dig a little deeper, go in deeper into the alley to find the exotic stuff. Like when you're at the beginning of the entrance, they still have a lot of regular uh, Americanized stuff you know like department stores and mcdonald's sure i actually went to like the mcdonald's i was like okay this is it and i left <laughs> and i left and i didn't get to see the exotic stuff <laughs> well you should not miss out on it if you get a chance now again whether or not you choose to eat any of these things is certainly up to you and your own particular threshold for adventure i have very little sense of self-preservation abroad and so I ate my way from one end of the street to the other. I found things that I loved. I found things that I will never eat again. The, to date, the most disgusting thing I have ever eaten in my life is a salt and pepper millipede. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, name a couple of disgusting things and a couple of tasty things for us. Sparrow, not great. Millipede, the most disgusting thing I have oh. ever eaten in my life. Seahorse not bad you know it, it just tasted like a a chicken nugget with very little meat inside and as i mentioned before i would still eat deep fried scorpions i'd buy them in the u.s if they were available because it tasted exactly like those shrimp chips that you buy in the asian markets crispy wow. crunchy fantastic i'd be eating bags of them given the opportunity how often does that adage it all tastes like chicken come through uh apply you know, chicken has a very generic taste, and I think it's yeah. less that everything tastes like chicken as that when you don't know how to describe something, the easiest is to go to a food that can be made to taste like anything. A lot oh, of them, a lot of the foods here, some of them just taste crunchy or oily or salty. It doesn't really, it doesn't really jibe with traditional flavors that you're thinking of that said absolutely worth trying if you're out there and even if you're not going to try walk up and down you're not going to see a ton of locals eating this i don't think that's what they do i i have my doubts as to whether or not this is a true chinese snack but it is a lot of fun and makes for a great story and that has been this week's just the tip which brings us to the end of this week's episode. So, guys, be safe out there. Drink in moderation. Don't smoke. If you do smoke, quit. And please, be safe with firearms. We do not endorse. We do not, pro uh, we do not protest. Just whatever you're doing, be safe about it. Have fun. And as always... Happy travels.